Let's pray. Lord God, we thank You, the God of mercy and grace, that You have orchestrated a plan in eternity past to save Your people from their sin. We thank You that we are the recipients of such a great promise through Jesus Christ. We thank You that You fill us with the Holy Spirit, that He dwells within us and empowers us for ministry in ways that we can't understand, Lord, but we benefit from daily. Tonight, as we contemplate the ministry of the Holy Spirit, would you please give us great understanding as we try to understand the teaching of your word concerning this wonderful gift that you've given to us. Bring honor and glory to yourself tonight in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so uh, we're continuing in Article 2. We um, did kind of the intro, and then we did uh, subsection A and B, the Father and the Son. Now we move on to the Holy Spirit. And uh, there's a little more. I broke it down a little more this time. There is a whole lot here in this uh, in this article on the Holy Spirit, and so I broke it down a little bit more into a few extra sections. Some of these are going to kind of overlap with salvation, so we're not going to get in depth into some of these things until we get to that article. So, like you'll, um, we'll talk about regeneration here in a little bit. Uh, we'll talk about assurance and uh, perseverance of the saints and that sort of thing. Um, effective call and everything like that, that's going to come up later. So we'll address the Holy Spirit's role in that tonight, um, but then we won't really dive into that in detail until we get to that article. So um, we'll start here at the very beginning. It says, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, fully divine. And this phrase, fully divine, was added by the 2000. The 63 didn't have it. And it just kind of reiterates what we've already talked about. The 2000 really was trying to clarify what it means to believe in the Trinity and that each member of the Trinity is fully God. And so uh, we see the third person of the Trinity here is the Holy Spirit. He is fully divine. He is fully God, though he is his own person. And I do want to mention here briefly before we kind of move on that the Holy Spirit is a person. I know there's a lot of confusion regarding this, sometimes because of teaching of other denominations, Sometimes just because we don't really talk about the Holy Spirit a whole lot in our churches. At least I, growing up, I I did not hear a lot about the Holy Spirit. And so when you read in Scripture, uh, sometimes it can be confusing, but the Holy Spirit is a person. He is a he, not an it. And so we need to think about him in this way. And and so we see here the Holy Spirit is the the third person of the Trinity. Um, I want to also briefly comment on this title, Holy Ghost. Depending on what translation you have, it'll say either Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost. That's the same person. Uh, It's just in the King James, that is the word that they would have used. Whereas in modern English, we use the word spirit. I don't think it much matters which one you use, except that I think that modern language has changed enough where... By calling the Holy Spirit the Holy Ghost, if you grew up in a Christian culture, that might make a lot of sense. For someone that didn't, that can be confusing because it can maybe communicate that, okay, so Jesus died and now his Holy Ghost kind of lives in us. And what does that mean? That that could be a little confusing. So uh, nothing heretical or anything. I think it's probably more helpful to refer to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit as opposed to Holy Ghost. If in your Bible it mentions the Holy Ghost and that's what you grew up referring to him as, I don't think it's a big deal. But just something to keep in mind, especially as you're witnessing to people. So that's kind of the introduction to that. Um, The next section here, we see he is inspired. He inspired holy men of old to write the scriptures. 
So in case you didn't get it in Article 1, this is the doctrine of inspiration. We talked about this on Article 1, so I'm not going to elaborate here. But it's important for us to at least recognize this is a work of the Holy Spirit. This is something that the Spirit directly was involved in, is the inspiration of the Scriptures. So it's good that they kind of included that here. So now is where we're going to start jumping into some Scriptures in this next section here. Through illumination, he enables men to understand truth. He exalts Christ. He convicts men of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. So I want you to write down the word illumination. Illumination. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. And after you write that down, you can write down these references. I would like to look at each one. We're going to, do, um, we're going to look at several references tonight. The first reference is John 14, 26. John 14, 26. Ephesians chapter 1. Verses 17 through 19, Ephesians 1, 17 through 19, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the whole chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and then 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14, through chapter 4, verse 6, 2 Corinthians 3, 14 through 4, 6. We won't read 1 Corinthians 2, we studied that in depth on Sunday morning fairly recently, but I do want you to go ahead and turn to John 14, 26 for me. John 14, 26. You'll remember this when we went through the Gospel of John. Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure. He's fixing to leave them, and so he's preparing them and giving them comfort. And then in John 14, 26, part of the farewell discourse... He says in verse 25, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. Verse 26, but the helper, uh, one of your, some of your translations may say comforter. That comes up later in the Baptist faith and message. The Holy Spirit, the what? Advocate. Advocate. That's exactly right. Helper, advocate, comforter. There may be one other translation there that counselor. counselor. Excellent. Yep. So the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name. Now look, it describes here the work that he will do. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So we see this take place later. Obviously, the disciples were not recording the Gospels as they walked with Jesus in the form that we have it here. Many of them did not really fully comprehend some of the things Jesus said till afterward. But the work of the Holy Spirit was to bring to their memory the things that he had taught them. That is the work of, part of the work of, illumination. Another example of this is going to be Ephesians chapter 1. So if you'll flip forward to the book of Ephesians chapter 1 and go down to verse 17. And we'll come back to Ephesians 1 a little bit later if you want to put your ribbon there. Um, Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 17. Paul is giving a prayer for the Ephesians. He's heard of their faith and love towards all the saints, and so he does not stop giving thanks for them, remembering them in his prayers. And then this is a glimpse into into Paul's prayers for the Ephesian church. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, 
that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might. This is part of Paul's prayers for the Ephesians, that God may enlighten their hearts and grant them more wisdom and revelation in their knowledge of God. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. If you remember, every Sunday we stand and we read the text of God's Word, and it's not an accident that right after we read that text, I want to pray a prayer of illumination. We need the Holy Spirit to teach us spiritual things from His Word. Even whenever we're doing our personal Bible studies, we'll get to this later, when I come to the Scriptures and I say, okay, God, would you, would you teach me? What I'm really asking for is, Holy Spirit, would you illuminate your word in my heart in a way that I might not be able to access it? Maybe you have an experience listening to a sermon or reading God's word where it just hits you in a powerful way. That's the work of illumination through the Spirit. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, you'll remember it talked about um, the spiritual person and the Spirit revealing truth. We won't read that. But I do want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And it's, um, I want to go from 14 through 4 6. I know it's a little lengthier, but I think the full picture here is really helpful. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. So he talks about in verse 14 these minds that were hardened. For to this day, when they hear, when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we've renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So he continues on here. What we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. And then in verse 6, the same God that said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So there is a veil that keeps us from seeing the light of the gospel. And the work of the spirit is to pull that veil off so that you are able to see that light in all of its glory. That's the work of illumination. Okay, so this refers to the enlightening of the mind and the quickening of the heart in response to God's word. The book of Ephesians in chapter six, it talks about the, the armor of God and it mentions the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So as the word of God, as we read God's word, the spirit inside of us is the one who quickens us 
and sharpens our mind to receive it and then to put it into action. Okay. Um, now, this also, uh, I want to add here before we move on, explains why sometimes multiple people can hear the same message and one person feels this conviction and then someone else doesn't. Sometimes it can explain how there can be a church service that one person walks away and says, that was so powerful. The spirit was moving. And then another person walks away and says, I don't get it. It's because there is a supernatural element to what happens here. It's the Baptist faith and message says that he exalts Christ. He convicts men of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. That conviction of sin and that exaltation of Christ is a spiritual matter. So sometimes when this happens and we have this different reaction to a service or to God's word, sometimes it has to do with one individual having the spirit and then the other individual not having the spirit. But sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes it has to do with grieving the spirit. I want you to turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. If you've got your ribbon there, you can just flip right there. Keep it there though because we'll come back to Ephesians again. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30. And there's this phrase here where I'm getting this from, this grieving of the Spirit. He's giving some instructions, just real practical instructions, since they've put away their former way of life. And then he says in verse 30, Ephesians 4, verse 30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So this same phrase, if you want to write down Isaiah 63, verse 10, the same phrase pops up there with the grieving of the Spirit. And in that passage, it's tied to Israel's disobedience. They've disobeyed. They have grieved God. So God is turning away from them for a time. And so in the same way, we can grieve the Spirit by ignoring or tuning him out, maybe when we interact with God's word and we are ignoring what he is saying, we ignore or tune out God and the spirit is grieved in that moment. And what happens is, in student ministry, I gave the analogy of a band-aid that you put on and then you rip it off. We had a real hairy student ministry volunteer, just big, thick, luscious rugs on his arm. And I'm like, imagine if so-and-so put a band-aid on and just ripped it off. And it was like, Ugh. like, okay, and then he puts it back on and then he takes it off again. You think it's going to hurt as much? Well, no. Okay, and then he puts it back on and takes it off again. Well, eventually the Band-Aid is going to stop sticking. You're just going to put it on, it's just going to fall off. Because you've ignored that conviction and the pain of that conviction so much, now I don't feel it anymore. So this might explain why sometimes two people who are both indwelled by the Spirit, one can feel the sensitivity of that conviction and the other one has just kind of become numb to it. So the Holy Spirit's work in us is conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Okay. So this next section here. He calls men to the Savior and effects regeneration. At the moment of regeneration, he baptizes every believer into the body of Christ. So you can write the word here, regeneration. This is part of salvation. We'll see this when we talk about conversion later in the Baptist faith and message. So we'll talk about it briefly here, but we'll go into more detail when we get there. For our purposes here, when the Bible talks about being born again, or in John 3, 8, if you want to write that down, he uses this phrase, born of the Spirit. 
This is regeneration, and that's what the Baptist faith and message confirms here. Now, there's actually two doctrines. It says he calls men to the Savior and effects regeneration. So this is regeneration and effective calling is what it is. It is when God speaks to someone and that has this drawing effect on them. The scriptures talk about how no one seeks God, not even one. But God, as he speaks to us, calls us and draws us to him. That's the phrasing here. He calls men to the Savior and effects regeneration. And then at that moment of regeneration, he baptizes every believer into the body of Christ. Now, all of these elements of salvation, we like to think of things like in a timeline order, like what happens first? You know, is it the effective calling and is it the regeneration and is it faith and repentance? And what is it? And the scriptures describe these things almost is happening instead of in sequential order. It's almost like layers that happen almost at the same time. And it doesn't give us a lot of detail, and it generates a lot of disagreement and discussion, and, well, I think that this necessarily has to come first or whatever. It it really doesn't paint a detailed picture of this. But here's what it does tell us. It tells us that both of these things are involved when someone comes to faith in Christ. Uh, I want you to turn here to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Um, Verse 23, 1 Peter 1. Verse 23. So he uses this phrase here, 1 Peter 1, 23, the phrase born again. He says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. And down in verse 25, he tells what the word is. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So when we hear the good news of the gospel through God's word, we hear the gospel. There is something that happens where we are born again of an imperishable seed through the sword of the spirit, the word of God. This is regeneration and effective calling happening at the same time. There's other places in Scripture where we see that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So some way, somehow, someone hears the word of God, the gospel, and then God begins this process of calling and regenerating so that now I am able to have faith in Christ and to repent. How exactly it works, it's a mystery. But the Scriptures do talk about it, and we see that here that that's a work of the Spirit. If it weren't for these things, we could not turn to God. So the final phrase here, he baptizes every believer into the body of Christ, I think is important for us, especially in light of some teaching that suggests that there's coming to faith in Christ. That's one thing. Then there's the baptism of the Spirit, and that's a whole other thing. As Southern Baptists, we do not believe that those are two different occurrences. We believe that the baptism of the Spirit is when someone comes to faith in Christ. We are baptized in the Spirit. And the passage here for us is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. If you want to write it down, I'll read it for us, but we've studied it very recently on a Sunday morning. If you want to go back and listen to that sermon for more context, it's on the website. 
but I'll at least read it for us. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. He says for, uh, in verse 12, Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. So for Christians to come to faith in Christ is to be baptized by the Spirit. That's what that is. This is not a separate moment where suddenly I just have this heightened sense and now I'm like on a second spiritual level of closeness with God with more abilities than I would have otherwise. That's not a biblical idea. So the baptism of the believer into the body of Christ through the Spirit is at the moment of salvation there. Okay. Uh, the second to last section here, he cultivates Christian character, comforts believers, and bestows the spiritual gifts by which they serve God through his church. And then I uh, kind of skip down a little bit. He enlightens and empowers the believer and the church in, wis- in worship, evangelism, and service. So here, I want you to write down the word sanctification. Again, we're going to come back to this later, but I'm going to give you some references here. Sanctification. And the three references for you are Romans 8.13, Romans 8.13, Ezekiel 36.27, Ezekiel 36.27, and 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. That's three chapters, the ones we've been looking at. We won't read those since we're studying through those now, but I would like you to turn to Romans 8.13. First uh, Corinthians 12 through 14. Yeah. So Romans chapter 8, verse 13. Romans, uh, obviously being such a rich book theologically, details a lot of these things for us. And here it's just very clear, very helpful. So he says in Romans 8:13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now it's very easy to read over this phrase, but how is it that we put to death the deeds of the body? By the spirit. It is a work of the spirit. There is a difference between me working in my power to put to death the deeds of the body and then me in the power of the Spirit putting to death the deeds of the body. The first is called self-righteousness. The second is the work of the Spirit working in us. So that is how sanctification happens. Sanctification is our growth in holiness, our continual being set apart in Christ as we work towards, with the power of the Spirit, work towards growth in holiness. So there's Romans 8.13, and the second example here is Ezekiel 36, Ezekiel 36, verse 27, and this is one I'd like you to look at, so turn to Ezekiel 36, and if you're looking for, um, I had a professor once that recommended uh, in scripture meditation, picking a chapter of scripture and reading that chapter of scripture every day for a month. Then the next month, you pick a different chapter. Now, that's in addition to your normal Bible reading. This is just, I want to meditate on Scripture. Um, One of the ones that I did that I still to this day refer to often is Isaiah 40. 
But this is also a good chapter. If you want a chapter of scripture um, to meditate on, there's just so much here in Ezekiel 36. I'm going to draw your attention down to verse uh, 27, though. Uh, Ezekiel 36, uh, verse 27. He's describing the new covenant that will be inaugurated. And um, in verse 27, he says what he's going to do. He says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now, again, here, look at the words. It's very, very important that we don't blow over this. God puts his spirit within us and causes us to walk in his statutes, not just in obedience, but he causes us to be careful to obey his rules. So the work of the spirit in me is that I am now able to do what God has asked me to do. But more than that, I have the desire to be careful in that obedience. That's all a work of the spirit. Sometimes in our growth and sanctification, the reason that we stumble is because we forget we need God for obedience. We cannot do it all in our own power. We need God to quicken our hearts and to cause us to be careful to do those things. So uh, I won't read 1 Corinthians for you there. You can look at that later. Um, For uh, the other part here, he says it comforts believers. So that's the comforter, uh, advocate, helper. That's in John 14, 26, if you want to write that reference down. We looked at that a little bit earlier, so we won't go back and look at that here. But the third thing here, um, he uh, bestows the spiritual gifts we've looked at a little bit. He enlightens and empowers the believer and the church in worship, evangelism, and service. I want to make note of this uh, evangelism here. Um, Luke chapter 12, you can write this down if you'd like, 11 through 12. Luke 12, 11 through 12. And I'd like you to turn there real quick. I'm going to read this for us. I believe that this same phrase pops up in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, I can't tell you what chapter right now, but I'm pretty sure it's in there as well. Um, Luke 12, 11 through 12. In fact, maybe here it'll tell me where it's at in Mark. Uh, no, I don't see that. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's in Mark as well. If you want to know where later, um, come get me and I'll look for it. Uh, Luke chapter 12, 11 through 12. So he says this to his disciples, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Now, if we were to really take this in context, what Jesus is talking about is not just when you talk to people about Jesus, he'll tell you what to say. It's when they bring you before the rulers so that they can torture you for what you profess to believe, do not be anxious. The Spirit will guide your speech in that moment. There's not a promise that they will necessarily be delivered, but it's a promise that you will say exactly what the Spirit has for you. And if you want an example of this, think about the stoning of Stephen in the book of Acts. He is filled with the Spirit before he dies and speaks in the power of the Spirit. So this isn't a promise of delivery, but it's a promise that God will use you. And though we are not in this exact context, this same work happens for us. 
don't know if you've ever talked with someone about Jesus and you don't know what you're going to say and things are kind of coming out in the moment. And then you get done and you look back at the conversation and you think, where did that come from? (laughs) I I don't think I could repeat that again. I wish I had recorded it or written it down. You know, I'll never be able to do that again. Yes, you will. Because it is the spirit speaking through you. It is not you. It is the spirit. Yeah. I also think when you walk away and you think, did I just really mess that up? Mm. We don't know what the Spirit has just done in that moment either. Because sometimes we can be too hard on ourselves. And I think when we are communicating the, the foundational aspects of the gospel, it can be jumbled and messed up and not like you want it to be. But God can use that still too. That's right. Or like, ah, I wish I'd have said it different. But you don't know that the Spirit intended it for a specific... Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. Well, is it not also possible at the same time the Holy Spirit's working on that person and they're hearing what they need to hear? That's right. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yes. No matter what you say, they're hearing what they need to hear. That's right. And, and that gives us confidence in our evangelism. Because if you're anything like me, it, it is real easy to get nervous. I, I am not an outgoing, extroverted person by nature. I get energy by being alone. I don't get energy by being around people. I have to force myself into that. And so whenever I'm getting ready to share the gospel with someone, what's going on, on the inside is, I don't know this person. It's going to be awkward. They're going to think this. I just don't know. <laughs> and, and I have to talk myself into going into it, right? This is all a work of the Spirit. In my power, I would not be able to do anything like that. The Spirit's working in my speaking and in their receiving. So I don't have to be nervous about what if I mess something up. I am not more powerful than the Holy Spirit of God. If he is ready to work in that person's life, he will work regardless of how I try to mess up his work. So let that be a comfort for you um, in evangelism as well. Uh, Here's the final section here, and then we'll get some application and have some time for questions. Uh, He seals the believer unto the day of final redemption. His presence in the Christian is the assurance of God to guarantee that God will bring the believer into the fullness of the stature of Christ. If you've got your copy of the Baptist Faith and Message here, you'll notice that there was a slight changing of words here talking about assurance, what it means that we have assurance. So I want you to write down the word preservation, preservation, and then the scripture reference Ephesians 1.14. Preservation, Ephesians 1.14. And then the second work here that we kind of see um, explained a little bit is called assurance. You can write down assurance or you can write down assurance of salvation. Same thing. Assurance of salvation. And the two references here are Romans 8.16. Romans 8.16. And... 1 John chapter 3, verse 24. So preservation, Ephesians 1.14. Assurance of salvation, Romans 8.16. 1 John 3.24. If you can, if hopefully you put your ribbon there, turn back to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to see this again. And this pops up, the phrase pops up a couple of times in Ephesians 1. I think last time maybe we saw it in, um, uh, let me see. Or maybe we saw that in Romans. I don't remember. But it talks about the seal of the Spirit. We're going to look at it in verse 14 right here. Ephesians 1, 14. 
In fact, I'm going to back up to 13 because this, this kind of hits back on the effective calling, the regeneration, the whole conversion moment kind of. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. So all of this miracle of conversion happens. What happens next? You are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The, the word here conveys the idea of a down payment. He is a down payment. It is going to happen. There's not a chance that you'll mess it up. It is going to happen. So the doctrine here that's associated with this is the perseverance of the saints. Uh, sometimes you'll hear it put like this, once saved, always saved. I'm not a fan of that phrasing because it kind of implies that if I just say a prayer and then I'm saved, well, then I'm good and I can kind of do whatever I want. And it ignores everything that this is talking about. What this means is that the one who has the Holy Spirit, the Spirit is working as a seal for you, bringing about your sanctification, growing you, and guaranteeing that you will be with the Father. He is a down payment that will not be taken back. So we are preserved. That's preservation. But then there's also this idea of assurance. He gives us assurance that we will make it to the Lord after we die. So Romans chapter 8 verse 16 here. If you'll turn there with me real quick. Romans 8:16. Um and actually maybe this is where we saw um maybe this is where we saw that earlier. Romans 8:16. And it says here, um, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. He continues, and if children heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, that we may be glorified with him. But the phrase here that's important for us is that the Spirit bears witness that we are children of God. Now, this seems kind of subjective. Like, how do, you, how do you know that the Spirit is bearing witness? And I can't explain it other than just to say, when he bears witness, you know. <laughs> I know for some people that answer might not be comforting. And there's other ways that we are assured of our salvation. But this is one of the ways. The Spirit assures us that we are in Christ. That's assurance of salvation. We see the same idea here in 1 John chapter 3. You can go there later. But he keeps us from falling away, and he reassures us of our faith in Christ. So let me give some application here for us, and then if we have any questions, we can look at that. Here's some application. Um, Just real simple, three ways to work on your relationship with the Holy Spirit. Number one, pray to the Holy Spirit. Pray to the Holy Spirit. I don't remember where I got this advice, but I used to pray generally and generically God or Lord. Um, Those are the two. I think Lord probably more often than not. I start off with dear God and then I revert to Lord as a title. And I don't remember where if I read this or someone encouraged me to do this, but they said um, it may have been a book on the Trinity to practice praying to individual members of the Trinity. 
Like we always pray, God, 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 God. But but it's okay to pray to Lord Jesus. He is God. And I think the same thing applies here to the Spirit. If you'll notice all these things we looked at, the Spirit does a lot of work in us. If all these things are true, that means that he is working in you all day, every day, molding your desires, molding you in obedience to Christ, convicting you of sin. He's all day working in you. Pray to the Holy Spirit and ask him to continue to do these works in you. A lot of times, and and maybe it's just me, but I find that I fall short in giving him the attention that he deserves. And the acknowledgement that he deserves. If it's him who is empowering me in my sanctification, I ought to regularly be asking and thanking him for that work. So what you can do is go through your notes later and every work of the spirit that you see right here on your application page, write those things down. He comforts. He convicts of sin. He empowers me for evangelism. He continues to increase sanctification in me. Write those things down and incorporate that into your prayer life to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you illuminate your word to me as I study your word today? In Christ's name, amen. Read the scriptures. You finish. Thank the Holy Spirit. It's okay. It's still theologically correct to thank God. But this is a way of improving my awareness of what the Holy Spirit is doing in my life. If you need comfort, ask the Holy Spirit for comfort. If, if you're about to witness with someone, ask the Holy Spirit for the right words. Use his name, Holy Spirit. That's number one. Number two, trust the Holy Spirit. Trust the Holy Spirit. You don't always feel when he is working in your life. And I'll refer back to the evangelism example here. When you're witnessing with someone or when you're talking to someone or maybe you're even talking to a believer. You're not even necessarily evangelizing. You're just trying to help disciple somebody. You don't always feel when he's working. Sometimes you can be talking to someone and you think, oh, I'm just I'm just messing this up. <laughs> yeah, Chip, I think, pointed that out earlier. I'm just messing this up. You need to trust that the Spirit's going to do what he already said he's going to do. Trust that he's going to do it. It means sometimes we have to step out on a limb. You have to step out and trust. And as you do that, that will grow. Number three, remember the Holy Spirit. Remember the Holy Spirit. Francis Chan wrote a book on the Holy Spirit called Forgotten God. And it's about the Holy Spirit. He says the Holy Spirit is the forgotten God. We often forget about the Holy Spirit. You think about the songs that we sing or our teaching. It takes intentional effort to think, okay, I want songs that incorporate, talk about the Spirit. Or sometimes in our hymn books, there's verses that they suggest you sing, and then there's the ones that, oh, well, you can if you want. And it's interesting how often those you can if you want involve the Spirit. So if we always follow that pattern, we will almost never sing about the Spirit. It takes intentional effort for us to think about what he's doing in our lives, and to, and to remember him. An example I gave for students um, in this practice was talking about looking for what God is doing around you. Sometimes we can get so distracted on everything that we forget to look and to see how God's working. And so um, one question that I usually did was with blueberries, blueberry muffins. I said, hey, when's the last time that you saw 
a blueberry muffin, saw the word, had a blueberry muffin, and some were like, oh, today, breakfast. And you got some that are like, oh, it's been years. I mean, I don't know. We don't eat those, whatever. I mean, I guarantee you this time next week, you're all going to come back and you're going to all have seen it somewhere. And they're like, uh-uh, I'm, like, I'm telling you, you will have. And sure enough, the next week comes and students come up, they're like, Brother Garrett, I saw it on a truck. There's a big old picture of a blueberry muffin. Of all the, of all the, like, what are the chances? And so the next week I would talk to him and say, well, guess what? You actually see it all the time. You just never pay attention. You just never pay attention. So remembering the Holy Spirit is just an intentional act of saying, okay, today, how have I seen the Spirit working in my life? Or, or starting your day, okay, I want to be aware of how the Spirit's working and looking for it. Just that intentional act of trying to remember the work of the Holy Spirit. So that's what I have for you today. Um, I'm going to close out in prayer, and then uh, we'll kind of open it up for any questions that anybody might have. Um, after I'm done praying, everyone can be dismissed, but I will provide a short time for question and answers. So let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are so great that it takes so long for us to just try to contemplate the work that you do in our lives, how you exist as one God in three persons, each being distinct, yet each being fully God. And even in contemplating all these things over a period of weeks, Lord, we have only scratched the surface of who you are and your infinite attributes and might and power. Holy Spirit, we thank you for the work that you do in our lives, even when we don't recognize it shaping us and molding us into the image of Jesus Christ, the Son, convicting us of our sin, of righteousness, convicting the unbelieving world in regards to judgment, pulling the veil off of hearts that they might see the glory of Jesus Christ. Spirit, we thank you that you are our comforter, that you comfort us in our greatest time of need. We thank you that you empower us for evangelism, for worship, for acts of service. Holy Spirit, please help us. Help us to be mindful of your work in our lives, that we might depend on you more fully and depend on ourselves less, that you might receive honor and glory. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.